All right, I have, I need two assistants. Colin, come here for me, bro. I did ask him previously. Ivia, I need you to come and help me. <laughs> I knew it was going to be Ivia from the beginning. So I'm going to do a very physical example tonight. And uh, before I give this to these two guys to carry on, I want us to turn to James chapter two. Chapter 1. And I'm still trying to finish chapter 1 of James. Last week I know I said we'll hopefully be done with it, but we're not done with it. James chapter 1, from verse 26 and 27, says the following. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves. And the religion is worthless. Religion that our God, that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And I want, us, I want you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 5 from verse 2. And it says, mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourself be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Don't worry, there's no circumcision involved. Again, I declare that every man who lets himself be circumcised, that he is obliged to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. So for in Christ, you neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. And so the point of what I'm going to be sharing tonight is for a couple of months, for more than a year, actually, I've, I've been hearing this one thing constantly popping up in our minds. And tonight I want to address something that is, is a very dangerous thing that can creep into the life of the church. And some people know it, and they call it the Hebrew Roots Movement. And I want to deal with that thing tonight, and, and I can speak about it because I grew up in it. I grew up in it. I was there. Come back here, you're not going anywhere. And tonight... In James chapter 1, it was speaking about he who thinks that he's religious. And that is a spirit that we are fighting over this town at the moment. It's a religious spirit. It's a spirit that wants to come and put people in bondage. In bondage. So my example is this. I've asked Ivia. To please tie up Colin and chain him. As a physical example of what I'm going to be speaking about tonight. The definition of a principality. Is that it's something that gets ruled by a prince. Because the thing is the Bible says to us that in Ephesians 6 verse 12. It says to us that our battle is not against flesh and blood but it is against the principalities and the powers of the air. Okay, assistants, 
has now been needed. Colin was actually a magician, guys. He actually studied it. So maybe we can put him in a water tank and see if he can escape. What do you think about that idea? <laughs> but one thing we do know is that if you think about it in Scripture, it speaks about that Jesus actually paid the price for us. That these principalities and powers have already been defeated. But you know that if someone has a fight, if someone's losing a fight, you think that they just go and they stop and they're like, oh no, I've been defeated. So example of an enemy that is fighting, that doesn't want to give up a fight, is Hitler. Who of you guys know World War II? Everyone knows Hitler, right? What did Hitler do? At the end of the war, when he knew that he was losing the battle, what he did was he got kids and old people, frail people, to take up arms to try and fight the enemy because he was getting desperate. And you know, the enemy wants to come, and when he becomes desperate, he puts up a last pitched effort fight. In, in 1 Peter 5 verse 8, it says that the devil walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And you know what he does is, an enemy that's, defeat, that's being defeated, what does he do? He makes a lot of noise. It was saying, Evie was saying this, this in, in the little stewardship teaching, he was talking about that this thing, the enemy comes and these noises around us, these things around us that he wants to come and he wants to distract us with what he's actually busy with. And we need to know something that the enemy is never obvious. He doesn't walk around saying, I'm Mr. Obvious. He's sneaky. He comes in so that you don't even see him. He comes in and he plants a seed in you because he wants to come and he wants to distract you from what he's actually doing. That's how a magician does it. It's interesting that Colin was a magician. Yes, he studied it. So if you think about it, what does a magician do? The whole thing about his craft is that he distracts you over here while he's doing something else. That's how he does it. And that's how the enemy works. As he comes in and he starts adding things to you, Because he wants to take you out. And I want us to read 2 Timothy 2. I haven't given the scripture, so. Can you find it for me? 2 Timothy 2. Verse 14 to 18. Got it. 2 Timothy 2, verse 14 to 18. NIV, please. 14. It says, keep reminding them of these things. Warn them before God against quarreling about words, because it is of no value and only ruins those who listen. Next verse. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread, will spread like gangrene 
Among them are Hymenius and Pilatus, who have wandered away from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place, and they destroy their their faith in some. You tired, bro? Okay. And the example that I'm doing tonight is, what I'm trying to show there is that the enemy subtly comes. Would you mind coming to me if you can? It's going to be a slow one. And if we look at this, the thing is the enemy comes slightly, slowly. And what he does is he starts putting us in bondage. Because that's what he wants to do. Because when the enemy comes and he puts us in bondage, he gets control over you. And when he gets control over you, there's certain things that he actually does. And the reason why I want to speak about Hebrew Roots Movement, because I've heard a lot of it popping up in this town. And I want to tell you guys, I'm going to tell you my story quickly. My grandparents, my my grandfather was an incredible man. He loved the Lord with all of his heart. He planted many churches. These videos that I've seen and these old little uh, pictures that they had on those little machines that you used to click and then it would bring up the next photo. Where there would would be queues of people standing outside waiting to be baptized because they were convicted and getting saved. Black people, white people, colored people, Indian people coming to the Lord. And one day my grandparents went to Israel and a guy walked up to them and he taught them this. The Hebrew roots thing. And I want to tell you, over a period of 30 years, I saw how my grandparents wasted away because of religion, because of systems of man. When my grandparents died with no inheritance of what God has done for them. And I've seen it. I was in it. We, We were forced to have afternoon naps on Saturdays because we weren't allowed to go out and play with our friends. We were never allowed to celebrate Christmas because it was a sin. When any of my friends prayed in in Jesus' name, I would run away and be like, no, you're from the devil. I've been in it. And we need to be careful as a church that we do not allow the enemy to come in and to distract us from what God is doing. And it's a hard thing I'm speaking about tonight. But it's because God has given us a mandate for this church and in this community. And I hear this thing pop up every now and then. And the enemy does it in subtle ways. And can you put up my picture, please? He shifts us by one degree. That's all he does. If you take an airplane and you shift an airplane by one degree, in the beginning, the difference is very tiny. But at the end, that plane can actually crash into a mountain because of one degree in the beginning. And that's how the enemy works. So the first thing that he does is to be able to put you in bondage is he isolates you. He pulls you away from people. I don't go to church anymore. It's only me and Jesus. It's only me and Jesus. Church has hurt me. People are in my life. It's uncomfortable. I'll rather break away and do my own thing. When he isolates you, the enemy's got you. Tonight, it is the hardest thing for Des and Nats to do what they did to me. It's the hardest thing 
for these two young guys to have done what they did. But you know what they did in their family? Because they weren't isolated. And they were welcomed back in family to be able to walk the journey of what God wanted them to walk. You guys with me? The second thing is, when you don't have counsel of people, you can go off track quickly. Josh Jen puts up a lot of resources on our website. For 12 puts a lot of resources out there so that people can make sure that we stay where we need to stay. Because theologically, we can quickly veer off. Because you can read the Bible, and, and who's ever done this? Lord, I pray that you would speak to me. Who's ever done that? Lots of people's done that. And then it's like, hmm, the people of the Negev will occupy the mountains of Esau. All right, where's Esau? Let's travel. And we dictate our lives by flipping a Bible open. Flee to the mountains. Run for your life. And we think it's God speaking to us. But you know what? When God speaks to you and there's something that you question, I can phone Ross and say, hey, Ross, listen, bro, I read the the Bible, it says that I've got to flee to the mountains. Ross is going to be like, no, bro, you're in the wrong mountain. God's put you in a minus. And can I be honest with you guys? A couple of months ago, I was there. I wanted to run. Because there was something that God had to deal in my heart. And tonight, I'm being vulnerable with you. Because vulnerability creates trust. And I spoke to Ross for almost three hours on the phone. And you know what happened? I was gunning Ross all the time. You know what Ross was saying to me? Bru, we love you. Bru, we love you. And you know what? It shifted my heart. Because there is safety in what we are a part of. Because when you go and you read the Bible just on your own, you only believe what you're saying. The enemy can come in with a whisper. And when he comes in with the whisper, he can take you off track by one degree. Acts 8, verse 30 to 40. There's a story about Philip and the eunuch. Eunuchy, snip, snip. Colin's having fun standing here. You're getting tired, bro. You're right. Okay, cool. (laughs) You can do this all day. And in Acts 30, it speaks about the eunuch sitting on the, the actual ox cart and he's driving around and he's reading scripture and and he actually overhears him so philip overhears him and he and he and he he asks him this question he says to him do you understand what you're reading and the eunuch says to him no i don't how can i unless someone explains it to me and philip gets onto the ox cart and he takes the same scripture and he tells him about jesus the guy gets saved right there And he goes and he gets baptized right there. And a miracle happens because Philip disappears. And he ends up somewhere else. Because you see, there is safety when we speak with one another. And I need you guys to know, and I want you guys to understand in this congregation, if I ever preach cabbage, you can phone Ross and say, Yuck is preaching cabbage. Because we need to make sure and check our own hearts whenever we get up and we speak 
that we teach because we will be judged more harshly than anyone else. Number three, what a religious spirit does is it takes you and makes you critical of others. You become critical. You look at other people and you criticize what they believe. You criticize what they do. I would like to know who drinks wine here. Who likes wine? Okay. Who doesn't drink any alcohol whatsoever? Okay. Most of you can't because you're underage. All right. Some of you. (laughs) But if someone drinks wine and you don't drink wine, it's not your place to become critical of someone who does. Because the Bible doesn't tell you you're not allowed to have any wine. It doesn't say that. Paul said to Timothy, have a little wine for your stomach. Because we're not here to judge one another. And that's, that's the key thing of where we are tonight, of what happened tonight, is to show that there is no judgment. There is no, you are a bad, horrible person. It's like, we love you. And that's the difference when we become religious and we start living according to the principles of man or we're living by the voice of God and by the Spirit of God. Ephesians 4, verse 11 and 12. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body may be built up. We're not doing this alone. We're not doing this on our own. We're doing it in team. Because we're doing team things. And I said it earlier. I told guys, Ross and Margot here tonight. They are here by invitation. Do you know why they're here? It's not because they're on holiday. They'd love to be on holiday. They're here tonight because we asked them to come and take a look at our congregation and see what we can do better. What are we doing wrong? Where are we missing it? How can we make it better? Because we're team. And if there's something that needs to be adjusted in me, I hope that Ross will tell me tonight or tomorrow or the day after that, Yaku, you need to adjust. You need to look at your heart. Because that's church. This is what's church. This is life. When we can actually deal with things, we can speak about things. We don't go out attacking one another. We go and we sit and we work through things. We wrestle through it so that we can become who God wants us to be. The fourth thing that happens is we become watchmen on the walls when the religious spirit takes us. And what we do is is we criticize the church and we stand outside and we try and show the church what they're doing wrong. The Bible says that God puts credible men in place. Men that's been tested. And for us as a church, we need to know that a person standing outside, if I've got a guy standing outside on that fence there screaming at us, saying that we're doing church wrong, I'm not going to take what he's saying. But if I have Andrew Selly or Kim Miller or Ross and the guys coming in and speaking into my life, I will take what they say because I trust them, because I have a relationship with them. And I've seen that where my grandparents became so critical of church that they left church. For 30 years, my grandfather sat on a couch on a Sunday morning or Saturday reading his Bible all by himself because he lost his impact. 
is he got caught. 1 Peter 5, verse 1 to 3 says, Be shepherds of God's flock under your care. That means church, guys. We can't be alone. We've got to be part of a local church. Another thing, we become prideful in our hearts. <laughs> They're feeling sorry for you, Colin. Colin's tied up. Do you guys think that Colin can be truly effective in what he needs to do? No. Because he can't walk properly. If he sits down, he'll choke himself and die. Because that's what the enemy does. The enemy comes in, and what he does is he wants to tie us up. He wants to keep us in bondage. Because if he, if he succeeds with that, He's got us. James chapter 4, verse 6 and 7 says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And in the same verse, it says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. So who puts pride in your heart? The devil. Why did the devil end up being cast out of heaven? Because of pride in his own heart. Because we think we become untouchable. We have pride in our own heart. And one of the biggest things that the Hebrew guys do, Hebrew roots guys do, is they put roadblocks in place for others. You can't do this. You can't do that. You're not allowed to do this. You're not allowed to do that. Matthew 23 verse 4 says, You load heavy burdens on people, and then you do nothing to lift them. One of the first things that was said to Kim and I when we arrived in Amonis, we had a, a lady that came to our house, her and her family. The first thing she said to Kim is, how many hats do you have? Kim's like, hats? Why do you need hats? She said, if you want to reach anyone in this town, you have to wear a hat to church. Kim's like, there's no way. I was like, there's no way my wife wearing a hat. She wears a cap. She can wear a cap because that looks sexy. But there's no way she's wearing a hat. Second thing. <laughs> haven't seen the right hat. The second thing that my grandparents never believed was, you were never allowed to bra. What a sad day. You know, God even likes bra. God likes bra. That's why he did lots of sacrifices in the Old Testament. Because they used to burn all the lack of meat because he got the smell. Because it was bra. And you know, I don't know how people can become vegetarian because all animals are made out of bra flesh. It's just the way it is. Yo, yolks look so serious. I'm going to make a couple of jokes. And yet my grandparents believed that until their dying day, they would not eat at our house if we brought meat for them. They believe that you're not allowed to dress in a certain way. You're not allowed to do makeup. You're not allowed to do hair. You're not allowed to, to, to put any earrings in. You're not allowed to wear necklaces. You, you, you've only got to wear certain clothes. Because that's the only way you can come into the presence of God. 
I went to one service where all the ladies had luppies on their head. I thought, like, what are you doing? And they were serious. They got to the point where they believed that you couldn't marry outside of their group. So brothers married sisters and sisters married brothers. That's true. I'm not lying. Very scary, eerie stuff. They only believed in Saturdays. Sundays was terrible. But you know that, that the early church met on the first day of the week, which is Sunday, actually. Jesus rose on the Sunday. He didn't rise on the Saturday because he was in the tomb during that evening. One other thing they believe is they only believe in Yahweh. The name of Yahweh and the name of Yeshua. Jesus' name is wrong. But can I tell you something? I've seen more miracles in Jesus' name than what I've seen in Yahweh's name. Because God is bigger than us. He's bigger than us. I know of a story of a guy who was lying on his deathbed and he heard that there was Christians. And he cried out and he said, the unknown God, the name that I do not know, if you save me, I'll serve you. And you know what happened? God healed him. He got up and he walked for five days to get to a, a mission station. And he gave his life to Jesus. The God that I do not even know. Because that's the power of God. One thing they believe is absolute submission. You do not question. Wives, submit to your husband. You never speak back. Guys, you submit to the leader of this thing. You do not speak back. But you know what? When you force down submission, you actually breed rebellion. And I know it's a hard thing that I'm talking about tonight, but it's something that we need to be careful of because it can catch us so quickly. It can catch you up. It can tie your feet so that you can't walk. Because that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to keep us in bondage. So how do we protect ourselves as a church? Number one, we're driven by love. We love one another. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 47, what does it say? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. All of those things, that is what drives us as a church. That's why tonight, when people come back repentant, we love them again unconditionally because we're driven by love. Because Christ was driven by love for you and me. That's why he died on the cross for us. What is happening? It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It doesn't keep any record of wrong. What happened, it's gone. We move on to what God has for us. We love unconditionally. We always believe the best. We forgive quickly. And we always allow correction. We're led by the Holy Spirit, not by tradition. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 6 says, The letter kills, but the Spirit brings life. The Holy Spirit brings life. John 3 verse 8 says, The wind blows wherever it pleases. 
You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Galatians 1.10. Let's go there. We're almost done. Galatians 1 verse 10, Paul writes, and he says, I'm now I'm now, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I was still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. We try, we please God, not man. We need to live for him and him alone, not for man. We are people driven, not power driven. Each and every single one of you sitting here tonight, I will never come to you and say, you have to do this. I cannot do that. That's not my place. What I can do is, is I can come to you and I can say to you, I really feel in God that maybe you need to do this. Maybe do that, but it's still your choice. Because I cannot force you ever. Not one person in this congregation can ever force you to do anything. And if someone does, you have a problem. Husbands can't force their wives to do what they want them to do. They do it because they want to do it. If I try and force things on my wife, she's going to rebel and be like, there's no way. But if I love my wife and I die to myself and I live for her, my wife will follow me because she wants to. Not because I'm telling her she has to. James 5, 19 and 20. Our hearts are always for restoration. Hebrews 8 verse 12 says, Jesus will forgive. So we need to give as well, forgive as well. And we fear God. And we don't fear man. Matthew 10, 26 to 28 says the following. And this is something that we've got to get right in our own lives. It says, everything will be revealed on that day. Everything that's hidden. Anything that we are hiding in our own lives will be revealed on that day in front of all of eternity. In front of everyone that's ever lived, that will still live. So rather, let's get that stuff out of our way. Let's repent on a daily basis. Let's live in the place that God wants us to live. Let's live in freedom. Let's deal with the things in our, in our, in our hearts tonight. I'm going to stop there. And my example tonight is if you're in one of these, in this place, in any way in your life, if there's anything that keeps you in bondage tonight, God wants to set you free. Tonight, what God wants to do is he wants to come and he wants to unlock the things that are holding you. He wants to break the chains. Are you willing to allow him to take the chains off? And the key is Jesus. Because the Bible says that Jesus came so that we can be free. And tonight, people are that got up earlier are free. I've unlocked everything. And tonight, if you're in that place, and I'm, it's not just Hebrew roots movement. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about if you've been critical before, if you've judged people, if you've gone and you've actually sinned and you said, Lord, 
And tonight you're sitting there like, Lord, I've been holding on to things in my life for so long. But I want to be free. I want the chains to be broken. Because you see, when the enemy has you, he's got chains of shame on you. Because you feel like you've got shame. And he keeps you in bondage because of that shame. But when you come and you bring it out and you deal with things and you put it in the light, the Lord comes and he brings freedom. Because then this has got no power over you anymore. Father, I thank you tonight for us as a church. Father, let us never be caught in trying to do church in our own way. But Father, we pray tonight that you would come and that you would birth a new move of your spirit in us. Lord, that your Holy Spirit would become alive in us every day. Lord, that you would speak life to us. Lord, that you would bring freedom in us. Lord, that we can be the bride of Christ that you call us to. And Father, we thank you tonight that you are here with us. Lord, we pray that as we go into this week, Lord, that you would lead us, that you would guide us, that your truth would be in us, that when we read the word of God, that your spirit would bring life to what we read. And Lord, that we would live like you've called us to live. And we thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.